0: media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5 this morning. I can almost imagine that not too many people have heard a Christmas uh, sermon from Revelation 5. It's the first one I've ever done from Revelation. And yet if you've been with us for the last four weeks, you know that we've been telling this story of how God uses Old Testament pictures of a lamb in order to tell the story of the coming Christ. We saw it first, all the way back with Abraham and Isaac and how Abraham acted in faith that God would provide a lamb. We we saw it later when the Passover lamb in Exodus chapter 12 was provided to give deliverance over the judgment that God was bringing on Egypt and all of sin. And that, that, Passover lamb, Paul would later say, is the Christ. And so we've been traveling through, and, and last week we looked at some more of the Old Testament, but also some of the New Testament. That an angel came to Mary and began to describe Christ, and, and he talked about being King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and all this majesty, and yet we looked at the prophecy that has been, that had been given to Isaiah hundreds of years before, and we see something that Almost looked entirely different. And so last week we had two questions. As we read about this suffering lamb, as we heard about this one that would be wound and pierced for our transgressions, but yet bring healing to us, we said, was Isaiah's description of the Christ biblical correct? And all of you said yes. And then we heard about what the angel had told to, to Mary and Lord of lords and king of kings. And we said, okay, is this inaccurate? Even though it's almost like polar opposite, is this an accurate description of the Christ? And all of you again said yes. Because what we see is this Lamb of God, this substitute for our sins, the substitutionary death and victory, so that we might know God, and that we might be free from the bondage of our own sins, is king of kings and lord of lords. This morning as we... Uh, Open up, let me go first back. You stay right there in Revelation 5, but let me kind of remind us of this Old Testament picture of the Lamb in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shear is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All of these pictures point to what we call the substitutionary death and sacrifice of Christ. Our whole hope for our salvation, our whole hope to be made right with the holy God. And in this picture of a sacrificial lamb, we certainly see this accurate description of Christ. Well, today we go to the end of the story. We started the, the sermon series uh, uh, four weeks ago and I said, you know, how many of you peek ahead sometimes to look at the last chapter, just to try to see how it all figures out? Well, that's what we're doing today. We're peeking ahead to the last chapters of the Bible, the final part of the story, when God still centers around this lamb. And in the book of Revelation, God gives us a glimpse of how this story ends. I've just been going through with some of my discipleship guys some Revelation. I said, okay, what's the first thought that comes to your mind when you think of the book of Revelation? And we had words like, you know, kind of weird and, you know, kind of scary. So One person said scary and you know, that you just don't know how to figure out, is this literal, is this symbolic? And Revelation has a lot of that, but it does tell us with accuracy the rest of the story. Let me set some context here. John, not John the Baptist, but the Apostle John, same one that wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, now has the privilege of writing the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible the final kind of glimpse before we see the Bible closed out as we would know it. And John begins to write and he writes to the seven churches and he writes and he begins then to be caught up in heaven. The Bible says that he was caught up in spirit and he actually saw God in the heavenlies. And then as he begins to see God in the heavenlies, he begins to see different events happen. And those really sound weird to us when we see different beasts and we see 24 elders and we see this and that and seven eyes and seven horns and all these different things. It's really easy to look at Revelation and go, okay, this is quite fictional. But it's not. And why we may be sometimes kind of thrown off by all the symbolism and all the kind of creatures that seem bigger than life, it tells us the story of how this life. And God's story will end. In, uh, in Revelation 5, John begins to tell us uh, what he sees in heaven. And he sees God on his throne. And he sees all the majesty of the angels and everything around him. And they're all praising God. 24 elders praising God. And then he comes upon something that made him cry. You might wonder, okay, if he's in heaven and he's looking at God and he's seen all these spectacular things... What would cause John to begin weeping in the midst of this experience? And the Bible begins to tell us. He sees somebody that God has in his right hand, a scroll. And this scroll, John knows, not all the details, but he knows this is like the the end of times. This is like how all this story is going to be played out. Look at it in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? It's almost like, okay, and time can't go on. This can't transpire. This can't come into actuality until this scroll that details the rest of time is opened up. And yet this angel comes and says, who's worthy? And look at the the reaction. John doesn't just weep. He doesn't just kind of have a tear. But it says that he weeps loudly. Look at verse 3 and 4. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. John's reaction is probably caused by this desperation, this discouragement of, okay, the story can't end. There's nobody worthy here to open up uh, the revealing of the end of times. But then look what happens. Look at verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. I mean, let's just pause there a second. because of the beauty of Christmas morning, because God coming, clothing himself in flesh, because a perfect life lived before us, a sacrificial and substitutionary death for us. Those are real words, guys. That's a real hope. That because of what Christ has accomplished when we place our faith in him, as the one that would make us right with this holy God, that even in our times of weeping, our our times when we don't have it all figured out, That we can have this declaration, weep no more. Now look what happened. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. There's hope. A lion shows up. Well, Pastor Robbie, I thought we were talking about a lamb. I I thought we were talking about a lamb, and, you know, he's always been kind of, you know, uh, the subservient kind of lamb. It's about time a lion came on the scene, a conqueror. This statement connects us all the way back to the first book of the Bible, Genesis 49.9, when the covenant of Abraham is being lived through Jacob and Judah and all of his descendants, eventually David. All these prophecies coming into focus. And John sees a lion. And his weeping stops, but he doesn't stop there. He sees something besides just a lion. Look at verse 6 and 7. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, that's the Holy Spirit, sent out all over the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated there. He sees a lion. Who do you think this lion is? It's Christ. He sees a lamb. Just like last week, where which one was really described to Mary? More of a lion or a lamb? That lion, king of kings and lord of lords, all this prophecy coming true. And yet what did, what did Isaiah tell us? That there's this lamb. Christ is the lion, Christ is the lamb. And that's important for us on this Christmas morning. Because as much as we need the lamb, this substitutionary death so that we can be right with the Holy God, Folks, we need to know this morning that this lamb is also a lion. King of kings and lord of lords. Conqueror. Look what happens. Verse nine and 10. And they sing a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. This lamb had a purpose, so that you and I, we're part of this every tribe and every language and every people of every nation, and he's made us, who put our faith in our trust, a priesthood, a kingdom, that now we have right standing with holy God. And so that's what John is describing there. That's what they're singing about. They're saying, can you imagine hearing this song? Worthy of you to take the scroll and to open the seals. Can you imagine what angel voices sound like? I, I can promise you, uh, when you said, let's sing again, Joy to the World, and I kind of blurted it out before everybody else. Take the polar opposite of what you heard in that one moment. <laughs> And that's probably what the angels sound like. And they're singing this song. Now look at the reaction of everybody in heaven in this vision that, that John has before the throne of God, verse 11 and 12. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine what an angel looks like? And what he or she sounds like? And then to see myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands all surrounded around the throne of God singing this song. And now they're making a statement. Look what they said in verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor, and glory, and blessing. Amen. And look who else joins in. Look at verse 13. And I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and in a sea, and all that is in them, saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. This is the Christmas story, guys. That in that manger, God clothes himself in flesh. And he dwells among us, Emmanuel. And this lamb slain on our behalf is the majestic lion and lamb. Now that gets all of heaven's attention and every creature's attention. This is the Christmas story. What does it mean for us as believers? If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and his work, not, oh, I raised my hand one time when we were at, the, at a service, or, oh, I got wet, you know, and they dunked me, and I got baptized when I was... This. No, all those things are, are good, you know, for us to make public profession or for us to uh, certainly follow in, in baptism after we become believers. But folks, what's going to separate us between those who have placed trust in Jesus Christ and those that have not, it's not if we got wet or not. and It's not if we raised a hand or not. It all comes down to, have we truly believed in all the work of Christ, this Lamb of God, this baby laid in a manger? Have we placed all of our hope, not most of our hope, the majority of our hope, but have we placed every bit of our hope on the work of that Lamb? If you've done that this morning, and at some point in your life you've trusted In this Lamb of God, here's the promise that God has made to you. Here's where we fast forward and we get to the end of the story. Turn over to Revelation 21. For all those who have placed faith in this Lamb, this is our story. Revelation 21. Look at verse 9 through 11. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls Full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Who do you think this bride is? Is this cool, guys? That this lamb of God has taken on a church, a people, a kingdom, a priest, it said back there in Revelation 5. The wife of the Lamb, verse 10, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Because we have the young ones with us I wish we could go through every part of this, but we're going to try to keep it a little bit short since we have everybody in here this morning. You can go back and read the following verses, verse 12, and it will give this grand description of this new Jerusalem. And all the vision that John was given to describe all that God is doing in the future. But here's how it ends, guys. Go down to verse 22 through 25. And I saw no temple in the city, Oh, you can go back and you can read all the rest of the story. The rest of chapter 21 and chapter 22 tell us of the glorious ending of what God has proposed. See, one of the things about Advent is that you're waiting. We've been waiting for four weeks for the delivery of the Christ child. And really, in actuality, as we remember the Advent that first came, we are now, as a body of Christ, waiting for the second Advent to come. And I'm like you. There's many, many days that we say, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That we look at all the heaviness of this world, the craziness of the world, and it seems like the the world is coming apart and it seems. We just say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Have you ever noticed that you wish that more on desperate days than you do on really good days? (laughs) But that day is coming. What makes this really a Christmas story is it tells us the rest of the story and the hope that you and I have this Christmas morning for all that have placed faith in the work of Christ that one day we will be with him forevermore. A place where there truly is no more crying and no more pain. Why? Because there's no more sin. I've always thought it incredible. You've heard me say this many times. Isn't it kind of interesting to think that in heaven we won't need faith? Today we live by faith. (laughs) But in heaven we won't need faith. Everything is reality. We don't, we don't have to exercise faith anymore because we're in the presence of Holy God. It's just that we will know Him as He is. No more crying, no more pain, no more times of separation. I would even maybe guess no more times of anticipation. This whole waiting, this whole Advent mentality of waiting and having hope in something to come, it comes. And in the fullness, will be there for all eternity. Here's my hope to you this Christmas morning. We live in some really challenging times. And as Christians, we are not to put our heads in the sand and ignore that we really do live in a world that's falling apart. But I promise you, it's been falling apart since Genesis 3, guys. I mean, think about it. The first family. One brother kills the other brother. I mean, not 15 generations later, but in the very first generation, that once the fall of man comes... There is evil and separation and hurt and misery and all the things that you and I are susceptible to in our own lives. And yet, right there in Genesis chapter 3, God pronounces the gospel that one day one will come and be the conqueror. This is the Lamb of God. And it is the Lion of God. And today we celebrate that God has kept his promises. And we can have the the truth in us to build our faith that if he kept all the promises so far, do you think he's going to keep the promises of Revelation 5, of Revelation 21, as we wait this second advent? This is our hope. Not Christians with heads in their sand, ignoring that there's trouble in the world. Not Christians who say, no, we don't have a... a, a a vulnerability to the hurts that come with our own sin and with our own fallenness. No, we, we look to heaven and we look to this lamb, to this lion, this conqueror. And today we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For you are our hope. You are our future. And may God bless that we know the rest of the story. Until he comes, we live in faith of the promises of God. All that have been made, yes and amen, by the work of this Christ child. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you. And Father, I could stand here for hours and read from Revelation, Father, the victory that you have brought, that you have promised. And Father, one day all of that's going to be reality. So Father, today we do thank you that there was one found worthy to open up the scrolls, Father, to open up the seals. Father, that your story will be completed, not because of our faithfulness, but because of your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for the Christ child. We thank you for the humble beginnings that you clothed yourself in flesh, Father, and dwelt among us. That Christ puts aside his glory to a certain level and, and comes and dwells in human flesh. Vulnerable to cold days. Vulnerable to hurts from friends and family. Living a perfect life and then willingly, Father, dying on the cross so that we might have this hope of revelation. This, this hope of a, a final glory And so, Father, as we go through the challenges of our life right now, Father, as we still are living by faith today in this hope of the return of Christ, Father, help us remember of his worthiness. And may that bring joy to us this Christmas morn. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in the hope that is Christ Jesus. Amen.